In the Know with Bernstein Research. Welcome to In the Know with Bernstein Research. In this series, we discuss investment controversies together with what is top of mind and in the news with Bernstein's research analysts, who are in the know. Our disclosures can be found at the end of this and every episode. We are with you today for a special In the Know, reporting live from our Pan-European Strategic Decisions Conference in London. I am Diana Wood from Bernstein's Boston office, and I'm thrilled to be here with Richard Moffat from our London office. Welcome, Richard. Thank you. Well, I should be saying welcome to you, Di. Thanks for making the trip. It's wonderful to be here. So this is our 20th annual Pan-Euro SDC conference. It's a bit bigger than when we started, I think, in 2000, 2004. I was seven when they started. <laughs> Do you like that math? No, but it is I big. wasn't seven. <laughs> but it is bigger. I think we have 80 companies, 70% from the C-suite in terms of executives, really across every sector and industry. So it's a very special conference that I think draws a lot of attention from investors and sort of is a do not miss in the industry. So I was trying to think of some of the themes that were coming out of some of the conversations we've had and the way that this conference is set up for those who have not attended in the past. We have large fireside presentations where CEOs and CFOs present. They're interviewed by Bernstein analysts. In these presentations, CEOs come prepared not to speak about the next quarter or even the year ahead. It's really their long-term strategic view of the company with slides and presentations specific to sort of this event. And then we also host one-on-one and group meetings. So I saw quite a few of the food retailers who all had a very similar message. Seemingly the customer has got used to higher prices. They all poo-poo the idea of deflation ever hitting food prices, and they clearly will not be giving any input cost deflation back to the customers. So SPs are here. And, you know, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think the way consumers are set up, the way our spending patterns evolve, we get used to the new pricing structure. And unless an industry is hyper-competitive, I think price is not how they're going to try and gain share from here. They're going to lock in these margins and enjoy the ride. Well, speaking of rides, one thing that I think that has cropped up a little bit that I find very interesting, and we can it's sort of yet to be determined the cause, but in a very large consumer staple company presentation, they were sort of going through region by region where their growth was and what things looked like in terms of volume. And they said across the board in food and beverage, and it's evolving in every region, which is unusual, but specifically in the U.S. and some in Europe, but people are just consuming less They could be wasting less. They could be eating more out of the home. But that's also in the context of inflation. So they would be spending more at restaurants. They're eating less and they're operating... By volume? By volumes. And so they call it slightly declining volume period, but they have not seen this before in the past, which you and I were discussing the other day. We're getting healthier, right? (laughs) We're getting healthier. And what was the first thing you and I both said? GLP-1. It yes. can't be yet impacting. There can't be enough people taking GLP-1 yet to impact U.S. food. I don't know. But maybe. It is the topic du jour, I have to tell you. And I think that people are spending, again, this is a very Bernstein-esque type of controversy and issue. It's not potentially, well, we're starting to see it this year. Let's see if it holds true. But this is in the next couple of years. Is this the new way people consume, which is just less? Yeah. 
I think she says, but I think also the impact of GLP-1s across the whole healthcare space is something that people need to get a very close eye on. I mean, the few of the corporates here in the space, I wouldn't say we're underplaying the impact of GLP-1s, but they sort of see it as this is a complementary treatment. Okay, we target the obese population, they're a big customer base for us, but only, you know, if some of those people get less obese, then we will still be able to serve and they will still need our products. But I think from what I'm seeing, I don't think the data is out there to confirm that yet. I do not think we yet know just how prevalent and widespread the use of these drugs will be. And every, from what I'm hearing, and I know it's very anecdotal, but every time there's a new study, they look retrospectively and find another use case. And by all accounts, this stuff works, right? We are talking very material impacts on people's health and improving a whole load of conditions. So yeah, I think this is one every corporate in this space needs to be very sure they have a plan around how this is going to impact their customer base. I agree. One thing that it seems to not have been impacted yet was spirits consumption. I personally agree with that uh, thus far, but I think it was interesting to see how companies are thinking about you know, their brand management and marketing and sort of in a post-pandemic world, how they're targeting consumers. The other that came up within the transport and travel space, not surprisingly, was Saudi Arabia. And this was an airline looking at how they're expanding and their presence in various regions. And they're very sort of bullish on Saudi Arabia. Someone said it's the new Europe. (laughs) <laughs> they've obviously, in this energy environment and in general, have accumulated a huge amount of wealth. I feel like my husband talks about, it was so controversial with his friends, the Live Golf Tour. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm not first <laughs> enough in golf to go down that. But we, it's very, they're front and center. There's a ton of investing. They have smart initiatives. They're not just the biggest. These are, they're looking to put the longest, sort of deepest things to work. As a country, a society, and a culture, they have a lot to offer for visitors. I mean, well, airlines in general, I think what's very clear from the airlines is that pricing demand is still incredibly strong. Consumer is still choosing to spend their savings and choose experiential products and spending more of their wealth on that rather than goods. Yes. And I think that's, I mean, that's been well flagged. That's been happening since COVID. But even China, you know, we're seeing the same. There's been told the economy hasn't recovered, but travel is still booming. And I think this is the interesting to the airlines that they've got very high ticket prices now, but there's just another 150 million people mm-hmm. sort of knocking at the door trying to join this global travel party, and they are still coming. So I think definitely that's still an interesting space. It is, it is. Speaking of transportation in general, I know that we both set in on some interesting automotive meetings. Yeah. <laughs> automotive meetings. And there's a real change in that industry. I mean, these are no longer manufacturers of cars. I mean, some of the things you heard. Like, well, yeah, well, we won't say which one. One we said that jewel is not going to be made on any random platform, referring to the beautifully designed automobile. And yeah, and they think the other quote, we are a designer, not a manufacturing company, which is a complete change on history. So this is the way EVs are going. And I think that was coming through from a lot of these players. The future of the automobile is tech, it's customer experience, it's interaction, it's connectivity, and they all talk about just buying in the powertrain, the battery. It looks that a lot of that will be commoditized and common. Mm-hmm. And the future of the automobile 
you know, which used to be based on sort of, did people believe in the engineering and the engine and the gearbox? It's far more about the brand. And that ability, as Apple have done with all sorts of consumer products, it's that ability to put the existing technology together in a way that the customer loves. I completely agree with you. And that was similar to one of the meetings, a different one that I sat in on, where the CEO said, you know, the four things that matter now as an automotive company are software, silicon, data, and connectivity. EVs in general, that's just the tip of the iceberg. But if you don't understand those four factors, then you're going to be sort of in a load of trouble. And he said, to your point, that you know, cars won't just be cars. They'll be computers on wheels. They'll be connected mobile devices capable of running the most advanced systems. And they're going to continue to target the standard consumer that they are, but the Generation Z. I mean, I I still think I'm a millennial, so (laughs) I'm not Gen Z, but the Gen Zs that are coming out and turning 20 and want a car, and some of them don't even want to buy a car. It's it's a subscription-based economy. They want to be able to have a subscription to utilize the car. But interesting, and again, without naming, he was talking about how people are hiring and including so much more sort of technology masters into these companies and use the example of how, you know, smartphones went from feature phones to smartphones like that and the losers just kind of got crunched up on the way. And the future of these car companies, I think, is how they find that next leading edge technology and they're early to it. And that's how they'll be successful. Well, that's the other, the other smartphone insight was, I mean, have you tried using a Nokia phone to actually have a phone call? It's amazing. The sound quality is unbelievable and over-engineered, but the smartphone competitors realized we don't need to spend the money yeah. on high sound quality in a smartphone world. And I, it, you know, this would be the same for autos. It is the ones that get it will deliver that experience that product we want and and i don't think we know what that is again you know some of them are still talking about it's all for the driver but i suspect that you know it's no longer i mean the days of racing your car around i know fast roads i think i know are long gone i know well it brings up another theme that i think has has sort of been there throughout the year in the last two years but artificial intelligence which obviously will be when some of the slides that were up with these car companies were facial recognition, how you would be able to control things from the car from a safety perspective. We actually had an, an interesting keynote speaker at our lunch presentation who went through the other side of AI, perhaps, from an ethics standpoint, instead of just this very bullish revolution, sort of called into question or, or expressed the limitations of what AI might have. You know, we think that it's going to rule the world. And I've talked about this with friends, the whole writer's strike. And it's kind of sad that humans, the original intelligence, the OG, one thing that separated us from the animals was our ability to have empathy and create and all of these other things. And the first thing we do is cut out the creative processes with AI. But she really called it into question by saying, it's not creative. She used the example member of of how AI was identifying a wolf versus a husky. The way that the AI identified it was by the background of the picture. What was it? Wolves were photographed in the snow and huskies in the... In the garden. Yeah. (laughs) They're pets. But uh, yeah, and I think... Well, the one thing I took from that was what is very clear is the duty of care of corporates, of institutions, is where this is going to end. We're going to have to have... You know, I think the U.S. is better than this than most in that we need to have a legislation that will support 
you know, lawsuits against corporate people who do not look after data, who do not look after their customers. And I think the second you step over that white line onto the pitch to make money out of people, to me, you're fair game for any harm mm-hmm. you subsequently cause your customer, even if unintended. And I think that there's lots of talk about well, ban advertising or ban this or ban subjective, you know. But, you know, I think the data point she made was that actually people already are opting out. Like, I think we've had that first iteration of just as with internet and how do we use social media, it's not perfect, but people are far more understanding about what they should and shouldn't put on social media. And the same with people's data. People are far more risk averse and conscious that their data is being used. And I think markets will evolve. You know, if an advertiser is annoying you by constantly pestering you because you happen to look at their shoes and then you get bombarded for the next two weeks, well, what will happen is you'll stop looking at their shoes. Yeah. And, you know, markets are sophisticated, advertisers are sophisticated. They will work that out. In fact, AIs are sophisticated. Mm-hmm. The AI will notice that didn't work. Yeah. Bombarding doesn't work. Yeah. Not for that person. No. And so I think what we do have to have is more legislation. I think that is coming. Yeah. Or just strengthen existing. I just hope that the pendulum of social media and all of this swings by the time my daughter needs a phone and it's back to like two aluminum cans and a string, how she calls her friends. Yeah, Be- good, good luck with that. Because it is so all-encompassing. I might bring back the flip phone. I will be the incremental buyer of a BlackBerry. As someone at the beginning of that journey with an 11 and a 13-year-old, yeah, I think the genie's out of the bottle. But kids are smart. Yeah. They get it. They see people around them. They see the car crashes and they work it out. I hope. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I mean, to finish up on the raw materials, what was clear from presentations is that China is still, despite all you know, rumors that China's slowing down and this and that infrastructure, it is still the biggest game in town for those names and just can't be ignored. That's right. I mean, China does have the best infrastructure. I was listening in on a logistics company that was sort of continuing to say that. They had been in India, and the opposite of seeing it as sort of a TAM market for consumer goods, infrastructure does not exist in India compared to something like China. In this sort of China plus one world and and how we think about supply chains in the last, in the years of the pandemic and post that, and you have nearshoring and shoring. As that adjusts and becomes more complex, that can be very good for businesses like logistics companies. They want to see that complexity. You know, they talked about where you see acceleration of different production facilities is, for instance, at the Mexican border. Most prominently, they see that today, and that will just continue with the U.S. border and Mexico. But there's been massive investments in supporting moving production capabilities there, especially for autos, semis. I mean, the world in many ways is still very global, but it is deglobalizing as well. It, yeah, it is. But I think, as you say, it's amazing how markets find a way to get goods to consumers. And I think the other thing we've learned is that it's a nice idea to say we're going to bring everything on shore, but the manufacturing capacity in China I'm pretty sure it's three quarters of the, at least the world's manufacturing capacity. You just cannot replace that without hugely impacting the price of your goods and therefore the demand. Yes. And so that ship sell. I mean, I suppose one very anecdotal thing coming out of here, just completely unrelated to corporates, is a certain website which is shipping goods directly to people from China at ludicrously cheap prices. The amount of people at this conference who all users mm-hmm. and are still shocked by 
you know, the price and the quality of the good they receive. And you know, this new business model, you know, this, I think this is the thing about, I mean, China particularly, they still have such scale that new business models can be tried and then levered across a far bigger consumer base and customers than anywhere else and then exported. And the model we're talking about is profitable in China. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people, they can't, how can people make money doing that? Well, scale and it's coming. And so a lot of our business models need to be very cognizant mm-hmm. of, what's, of what's coming. I think a lot in other areas where they're trying to do this, they think if you build it, they will come, but it's at what cost? At what cost? But speaking of if you build it, they will come. But as you said, for logistics oh. companies, complexity is margin. It is. And complexity in markets drives very intelligent research insights, <laughs> which is what brings us back to why we're here. The research insights of Bernstein. And I have to tell you, I still am so happy to see to this day that I hear clients that come across the pond from Boston say that this conference is a do not miss, which is what has made it so successful for the last 20 years. Yeah, no, exactly. I think, and you see it from the corporates. You know, I think we're very lucky. It's a combination of the clients being here. They know they, the corporates come and we get this amazing list of CEOs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Di, what have you learned? I've favorite learned. highlight from this three-day. Can I tell you my favorite highlight? I am going to run the marathon in April, <laughs> and my best takeaway was your advice after running six of them on my training schedule. So on a personal note, I am very excited to have take, gotten that takeaway in addition to everything else we just discussed. <laughs> Good luck with that. I'll be, I'll be cheering you on, definitely, Boston Marathon. As you can hear, it's quieting down a bit as people are trooping into their last meeting of this year's Bernstein SDC. So it's been such a pleasure catching up with you here today. Thank you. Nice to see you in person. Always. And safe travels. And with that... You've been listening to In the Know with Bernstein Research. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to like or subscribe. In the Know with Bernstein Research. If you do not have access to Bernstein's research, you can find it at bernsteinresearch.com, where you can also find important disclosures that we encourage you to review. Bernstein has no obligation to provide any updates or changes at any time in the future. All references and or market forecasts are correct at the date of recording. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the presenter and may not be the same as the views of Bernstein or its affiliates. Bernstein is not providing any financial, legal or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast and this should not be considered as investment advice. This podcast must not be copied, distributed, published or reproduced in whole or in part. None of us hold positions in any of the equities that we have discussed today.